Hello and welcome to season four of Power Talk. Power Talks are short, powerful interviews from leading youth violence experts, spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. For more information on the work our charity Power the Fight does and to discover how you can help empower communities to end youth violence, please visit www.powerthefight.org.uk. In today's episode, we're joined by Sace Holmes, founder and CEO of Mentivity, as he shares the youth worker's perspective on youth violence. Just introduce yourself to the people. Yeah, um, Sace Holmes Lewis, um, South East London, born and bred, Ellsbury Estate, 39 years of age, um, been working in the community for 23 years, so since the age of 16 in different guises, so sports, um, education, and just trying to bring the community together. Um, but it's been on a journey of discovery, you know, and trying to give back to my community because my community gave so much to me. Yeah. So I'm just really passionate um, and I've set up Mentivity, which is my organization I founded six years ago now. Um, so I'm the CEO of Mentivity. Mm. Um, also have a consultancy now where I train uh, the police. Yeah. Um, and I've also coached, I've been coaching football yeah. for 20 odd years now. So very yeah, passionate. Listen, because I follow you on Instagram and Similar to actually somebody we mentioned um, earlier on, uh, Justin from United Borders. Mm. I, I think I first clocked you uh, when I saw you on the news. Okay. And it was about quite a mad like stop and search situation. So the way you just articulated yourself and articulated your frustrations, but then also very quickly mm. it was, this is a problem. And I think you said something like, the irony is I'm going to be teaching you, I'm going to be showing you like, um, I'm going to educate you and how you need to get... And I was like, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> what was amazing, because in that moment, mm. not many people would find the words. Yeah. Not, you'd be frustrated and angry, but then you also had a solution in the middle of that. Yeah. Just talk me through just that whole scenario and how and what happened. That moment was 23 years in the making um, because I was uh, assaulted by a police officer at the age of 14. Wow. I've been stopped and searched over 30 times and my interaction with the police have always been negative uh, because of how they've treated me. So 95% of my um, interaction with the police has been negative. So it literally got to that point on that day, I just had enough, but I knew I had to change if I wanted to see change and I had to find a solution in that moment. And I just remembered that I'm 37, you know, that at that age and they were young officers, they were 22, 23, they were, they were young people. So I had to just educate them and show them. And I just felt empowered because I've educated myself to find a solution and I'm very determined. And mm. I buried that injustice, you know, for 20 odd years and didn't have a solution, but that day I found a solution. And it's interesting that you talk about like the empathy and compassion, mm. that you're, you're 30 plus, but some of the officers that you're dealing with are a lot younger. Not many people can widen the gaze mm. to think actually, we're both humans, but you haven't got the ex necessarily the experience to deal with what I'm dealing with. Yes, um, and we spoke a little bit about this in other in other spaces. But what is the main issues for for you when we're talking about the engagement of not just the black community, mm -hmm. inner city communities as yeah. well? Even though we we're well aware that when it comes to stop and search, yeah. when it comes to wall of silence, when it comes to the community distrust with the police. But just from your perspective, what is the main issues here and and what are you seeing in terms of 
things which can work to move things better or yeah. make things better between the community and, and the police. Mm. But what are the main issues that you're picking up, not just for you, but also yeah. the young people that you're working with? I think there's a lack of trust for adults and young people because they've been let down continuously, you know, by government, by people in, in their communities, their society, families, friends. Uh, there's a real lack of trust for adults and people are not giving their time to young people. So there's a lack of trust and respect there. And I think when adults are making mistakes and not apologizing to young people and being accountable for their actions and the lack of actions that they've really, you know, taken towards young people in terms of solving their problems, mm. they're just blaming them. And um, for me, I think it's about education, but education from the standpoint of young people, a youth led, you know, education where we guide them through that process and the educational process, which is more informal, just conversations and talking to young people. So um, there's a lot of generational trauma, um, yes. which has been passed on because of the the interactions with the Rinrush generation, which my grandparents are part of, but also the second generation, you know, of my parents that were in a hostile environment. So a lot of those negative experiences are passed on to young people, yeah. which helps to segregate them from society even further. Um, and I also think the criminalization of, of black youth uh, and urban youth and their culture, you know, various moral panics yeah. has uh, created this division between young people and society. So mm. that's why I think there's a, a real distrust, but also a real break in that intergenerational dialogue and connection. The intergenerational dialogue and connection, like you put it, is a really important point, actually. When we deliver training at Power of the Fight and we talk about bias, one of the things that we say is that there's this intergenerational and inheritance bias, mm. which we all carry. Yeah. But I suppose there's a difference between some of the things that we carry where they then influence the the livelihoods yes. of, of of young people. Yeah. Um so one of the things which I know that you are doing amazing work in is training police officers. Mm -hmm. Um, talk a little bit about that because for me, we often talk about what I talk about in that in for our charity, for our reports, cultural sensitivity. Yeah. This idea that actually police officers, or not just police officers, any professional working particularly in hyper racialized areas, mm. are you culturally sensitive yeah. to be working there? So teachers coming from outside of London, we know that these like territorial support of office group yeah. officers, um, the TSG officers mm -hmm. often come from outside of yeah. London, Essex and these places. Mm -hmm. They come into these spaces and they don't understand the culture. It's yeah. problematic. And here you are saying, right, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you. Mm -hmm. What do you do? How do you do it? <laughs> uh, and what is the response? I suppose yeah. is interesting. Yeah. I think I'll start with the response. It's mm. been, it's been overwhelmingly good. Um, and, the human interactions I've been having with the police over the last two years has been nothing short of amazing to me. And this has really broadened my own horizons and reinforced my learning. But in terms of the session content, it's about making it personal to the officers that come from different backgrounds. Like you said, the recruitment uh, of police is, is totally wrong. Um, but people from our communities won't join the police because of the lack of trust in the way they're going to be viewed. So that's a non-starter straight away. So we have to work with what we've got. And by really making the situations personal to, to the officers and getting them to understand that we're all oppressed to some degree when we link into white imperialism and what that's done and racial hierarchy and how it creates this segregated societies 
and there's further compartments, you know, when we talk about young people, then you're young, you're black, your culture's negative to the mainstream and it seeks to make money. It's about breaking down these barriers through, you know, conversation, but meeting on common ground and finding common ground and really talking about the wider context of this country and the legacy and what being a police officer represents. Because when you pledge your oath of office, you pledge it to the queen and the queen is representative of colonialism and the Commonwealth, which was linked to the empire which is all about white imperialism, subjugation, go back to the crusades. So it's really breaking down that history and getting them to understand that this is all about states and violence. Just to say, I mean, obviously you just said some stuff there which um, makes sense mm -hmm. to some people. Mm -hmm. That's quite powerful mm -hmm. to go into an institution of the police and, and start using terms like imperialism mm -hmm. and, and, and empire. Yeah. And how does that land? It lands because of what I do in the first session is talk about my journey with the underlying police narrative of being oppressed by police, even though I do so much great work in the community, have done consistently over 23 years, but also how many of us black men arrive at the same juncture of potential criminality because of the system and how it oppresses and narrows down our options to get to this point. Mm. So it's not unique for someone to think about going to the roads to make money because you're not going to be taken in by these educational institutions or these, you know, these corporate institutions because of where you come from. Yeah. And we don't know how to navigate those areas. So for us now, it's about really breaking it down and letting them see that white privilege goes hand in hand is in direct antithesis to black disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And that when we talk about imperialism and the racial hierarchy, we're all oppressed to lesser degrees and you're making it personal to them because some officers might be from Eastern Europe. And I talk about how xenophobia makes them feel, and they're like, yeah, it makes me feel like not part of society. Sure, That's how racism makes me feel. Yeah. So by making it personal and linking that to oppression, you get people's buy-in um, by sharing that story, but also the achievements that I've, you know, I've, I've achieved over the years and the things that I've overcome to get to where I am. And it's a success story, which shouldn't be a success story because the system didn't want us to succeed. No. We shouldn't be doing what we're doing now. Absolutely. There's no way. So it inspires them to actually think outside their their, their own mindset and their own paradigm mm. by challenging them in an elegant way. I'm not going there saying, you're wrong, you're racist. Yeah. I'm saying, why do you think people respond to you this way? Where does it come from? And that's really important, actually, isn't it? It is mm. about how you... The delivery is yeah. really, really important. And I think people assume that when you start talking about mm. race, yeah. structural harm, oppression, and whatever it is, there's an aggression which comes with that. Yeah. And I, I always say when we deliver this type of training, I'm always say, look, first and foremost, we're not here to make white people feel guilty. Yes. That's not what it is. Yeah. If we are going to talk about race, maybe what I do expect is at the end of this, more empathy and more compassion. Empathy. To the perspective of what we're trying to show. And it's not Ben's perspective. Yeah. Or just Ben's perspective. We're talking about in hyper-racialized mm -hmm. areas, particularly in the London context. Yeah. These are the, people who you are and this is the key word you're serving yes it's not a force <laughs> is it it's a service right yeah you're serving so if you're serving someone this whole posture of learning mm -hmm. and and respect it needs to go both ways but yeah. ultimately you're the ones in, in power so that's that's fascinating yeah talk to me a little bit about mentivity because you know similar i've been working in this field for over 20 years mm. and i can see a shift yeah um Maybe in the early noughties, it wasn't that there wasn't black men and women who had their own organisations, but what I, they, they, there wasn't many. Mm. Um, 
Whereas now, yeah. it definitely feels like there's a generation of black men and women who are leading some incredible organizations. Yeah. Yourself, like Justin, mm -hmm. United Borders, like Andre Harriet with Liminality Group, what we're doing at Power to Fight. Yeah. Uh, Juvenist from Winston Good, yeah. multiple people, people yeah, I could, I could, I could, I could talk. My guy. Yeah, 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 you know, it, 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 there's some brilliant people yeah. doing stuff. Yeah. What do you think's happened? What, you know, tell me a little bit about Mintivity, but yeah. why do you think there's there's so many of these organisations now coming coming through? I think there's a uh, a collective consciousness which is increasing, and I think we are doing things that we've never done before. Um, but Mentivity was born out of frustration for me working in the educational sector as a coach as well, dedicating myself to young people. I got to the point after two redundancies in 2013 and 2015 that I actually was going to move away from this sector totally. I had enough because I couldn't really survive, you know, financially. And it's very difficult to do this work and actually live. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I've, I've, had two, I've had two jobs my whole life pretty much, you yeah. know, since working in this sector. So I nearly went into in-house recruitment uh, for, for the corporate sector in banking. Because I know I'm a, I'm a salesman. I know how to sell. I know how to mm. talk to people. So I was like, right, I'm going to do that and make money and then just do that because I've got to look out for my son. But I was in my final year of university. I did a uh, case study on on Greenhouse, Greenhouse Football Club, um, on their their offer for youth. And I gave it to my manager and he read it. He was like, this is fantastic. This is a plan for a community development manager role. I'm going to create this role for you. Wow. So that's what kept me going. And I literally ran a pilot project, which was the precursor to Mentivity, whilst at Greenhouse. So it was actually called Sports Men, because uh, sports mentoring was a key thing that I was doing over the years. And I studied youth and community work with sports development at UEL. Um, and that whole concept of Mentivity came there, but it wasn't Mentivity, it was Sports Men. Yeah. And then Mentivity came to me in a dream in November 2015, when I was told I was going to be made redundant. So Mentivity is a play on words, so mentoring activity. So mentoring ah. young people through activity, nothing to do with men at all. That's amazing. Yeah, so um, I literally decided with that redundancy money, I'm going to set up Mentivity as a limited company to start off with, to showcase self-determination mm -hmm. and, and and modes of finance that wouldn't be open to, you know, CICs or charities. Yep. And um, I just did, just had an idea and went with it. And I wrote to my brother six months down the line. Then Leon came on board and... We've just grown ever since. And it's about really educating young people from their standpoint wow. in informal education, but infiltrating education to support young people that are being oppressed by those conscious biases, but also the dangerous unconscious biases as yes. well. Yeah. And that racial, you know, oppressive system uh, that is education, which indoctrinates our young people mm. because we know that our young people, when they go into education, they're the most academic, most energetic, but it's something called the fourth grade syndrome, which is a concept in the States that, by the age of eight, nine, they become so indoctrinated, they don't see people that look like them, they become oppressed by adult views that they just become disinterested. Yeah, So, and this is something we, we see. And um, I want it's great that you've made that link, actually. Mm. Um, a couple of things. First of all, I think it's important for people to understand the business model. So what you just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, can, help, yeah, really helpful. I can elaborate on that. Yeah, no, I please mean, do. Yeah. So, the limited companies, what I use to set up mentality, and so we have two arms. So we have the limited company and now we have the CIC. Okay. So limited companies, you know, contracts from local authorities and getting the money from there and the schools and contracts with schools. Whereas the CIC, we can apply for funding and also receive funding from the corporate sector as well. Yeah. Uh, so the plan was to have the limited company, CIC, 
in the charity still being formed because of the delays around COVID. But whole yeah. nightmare. Do you not need to tell me that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So once that comes, then we'll have the two strands of income, yeah. which will make us sustainable. But the corporate sector is key because Goldman Sachs is our key and most you know, valuable partner, but they invest in us the most. Yeah. And they believe in what we're doing and it's an investment, you know, and they want to return on that investment in terms of success and how that makes them look, but also the legacy yeah. of mentivity. So we're guiding them in that process. So it's important that I, I showcase self-determination personally because I'm very determined, mm. but I want to show people from my area, from the LSP estate, from Peckham, mm. you can create a business that is sustainable um, mm. and does, you know, achieve social outcomes and social positive outcomes yeah. uh, and has a, a cause behind it, you know? But I think it's it's important, it's really helpful what you just said there because the business side of stuff, I think some people think running an organisation mm. like Mentivity or even Power to Fight is straightforward. No. And <laughs> I keep saying, what's that to say to like, listen. Great hairs are coming through. Oh, man. bro, no hair. <laughs> There's no hair left. You just have a high top. Not <laughs> Although that might be time to do my three children. But it's, like, it's, it's, it's long gone. But, you know, when you're start, you know, we're a charity mm-hmm. and we've got a board. Right. So even picking the right board yeah. to make sure they believe in you, but also you're accountable. Mm-hmm. Like I know people's like, I just got my brethren to be on the yeah, board. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, nah. Nah, that's, <laughs> that's not going to work. Yeah. But at the same time, having people who do understand and where you're coming from, it's a really tricky balance. And, and I think also the mixed funding model you were mm. talking about there, similar to us, whether it's corporates or mm. partnerships or donations, mm-hmm. Balancing all that out is yeah. really important. But I remember, I'll never forget um, uh, Les Isaac, who mm-hmm. runs the Ascension Trust, famous for street pastors. Mm-hmm. He's on our advisory board and he said to me straight up from off the bat, he said, Ben, you've got to get to the point where you're not reliant on grants. Yes. And um, that's easier said than done. Yeah, 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 for sure. No, But I think with Ascension Trust, and it's been going for 20 years, mm. He doesn't, there's no grants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think maybe the running me trust is similar. Yeah. So it's, it's it's definitely interesting when it you is. start having to think about uh, plans and how yeah. moving forward. Yeah, how do you yeah. find that? Because I know running the business, people don't see the stress. Yeah, it's literally like jumping out of a plane without a parachute <laughs> and you build it on the way down. That's yeah. literally what it's been like. I've learned a lot um, and I've been outside my comfort zone consistently. Uh, and I think that's benefited me because I, I know two days are the same for me and it allows me to to progress. But I love challenge, man. And yeah. because I'm so passionate about my community, I would do anything for my community and, and yeah. for my extended family. You know, people, when I walk down the Wharf Road and Peckham, mm. I just get stopped regularly with people that I've invested in. I've worked with well over 20,000 young people, you know, in 20 years well over that yeah. but just that legacy you know that's a back. massive number by the way you say that quite nonchalant like, oh, oh well that's COVID that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that's a lot I mean that is and like you, we need to take a moment and say well done because that is incredible amount of um, numbers of young people that you've worked with and then if you amplify that to the families impacted yeah. it's probably double that yeah, yeah yeah and I think in this field A we don't give each other flowers enough in no, the you're context right. B, it's not valued mm. and seen, you yeah. know. For every unfortunate murder we might see, yeah. there will be a hundred who have not gone down that route because yeah. of people like yourself and yeah, others. Yeah. So I want to say well done, bro. That's, that, Thank that's, you, man. And respect to you too. That's amazing yeah. what you're, you, you've done. Mm. Um, one thing I want to talk about, obviously, it's a, I made a conscious decision at the start of the year that I'm going to try and focus more on black joy mm. than black trauma. Yeah. Because... 
it was a moment where everything I was seeing yeah. was just re-traumatizing yeah, me. Yeah, and, yeah. And, but the reality um, is that, unfortunately, we saw 30 young people in a London context yeah. um, lose their lives to, to violence. Um, and the vast majority of those young people were of colour. Mm. So I suppose we've touched on some of these links yeah. and we've spoken a lot about stop and search. Well, we haven't, but we've seen, you know, we spoke about your experience with yeah. stop and search. Um, there's different perspectives on this with your experience of stop and search, but also with the, the knowledge that knives are getting bigger. Mm. They're becoming more accessible. Yeah. Um, they're becoming easier to, to obtain. Mm. What's your view? What's your view on stop and search? And actually, and the second arm of that question is, how do, what's some of your views on how we try and reverse this, what I would call a pandemic? Yes, definitely a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, we're in you the know, same there. So yeah. just your perspectives on that really. Oh, it's, it's really hard to disseminate because when we talk about violence, which I'm so happy you called it as violence, it's not serious youth violence. Because no. violence is, you said it's a pandemic, but it's a pandemic of this country. Yeah. It has been for years. Like this is state assisted violence against people, against countries, against sovereign nations. And we can't discount that. So when we talk about violence, this is learned behavior. Young people are not born deviant. They see this and they recreate what they see. And as adults now, when we're recreating violence in the homes, which is passing on to young people, which, which is reinforcing that trauma, but also the trauma of being a black Britain in this country, not having a foundation, not having education. So it's really, really sad because I've lost 12 young people uh, in the last 12 years. Wow. You know, fortunately, I haven't lost a young person since 2020, when I say fortunately, yeah. which I shouldn't be saying that. No. You know, the last young man was Jeremy um, in Oxford Circus and I worked with him, I coached him and worked with him at his school and tried everything to prevent that from happening. Mm. But I knew it was gonna happen. Me and my staff at Mentim knew it was gonna happen. So so this is interesting. And again, like, I don't say stuff flippantly because in a similar situation, I could probably talk numbers as well in mm. terms of and every young person, I never look at a statistic, particularly when I've worked with them. I know their family, I mm. know what they've gone through. Yeah. But it's interesting what you just said there. Mm. You knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unpack that a little bit. When you said, what were, what were the characteristics of this particular, or not just him, but a young person when you can say, mm. I can see it coming? I think it's, um, with young people, I've seen it 12 times, you know? Yeah. And I see the life being drawn out of that young person slowly by the environment that they're in, by society. Um, another one was Raheem Barton, you know, who was shot and killed on the, the Brandon estate. And I'd worked with him since the age of eight. And Jeremy, I'd known him since probably about the age of 11. And I coached him at FC Jean Tali, which was my mentors club, the guy that put me on my journey, you know, Abdullah Ben Kamal. So big shout out to Abdullah mm. because without his support, I wouldn't be doing this, you know, as well as Mr. Hansen, my family, my mum, you know, massive influences. But with Jeremy, he was so ignorant to the fact that adults were telling him, we've seen this before. Yeah. We know where you're going. No, I'm going to get this money. I'm going to sell these drugs. I'm going to retire. I'm going to go back to Colombia, buy my land. And I, like, I've, I've never seen a retired drug dealer. So <laughs> yes. I've never yeah. seen it. Yeah. Is there a pension? <laughs> like, wh where do we get this from? Yeah, yeah. And like, it's this it definitely lack wasn't, of... It wasn't in Scarface. No, no, exactly. It's always negative endings. Yeah. So they don't see that, but they think that they're so intelligent, so smart. And because we're rebellious as young people, we don't see that high risk 
taking behavior or having consequences. Yeah. So he couldn't see it, but we could, because we've been there before. Mm-hmm. We've been in those situations as young people where we've seen our friends go down those wrong paths. And furthermore, with young people that we work with. So we knew it was going to happen. And when I got the call, I wasn't surprised. I was upset. You know, I shed a tear because this is a young, innocent man who could have changed his life. Same with Raheem. And um, you just see the key indicators, you know, the way they withdraw us from, from society, the way that they see the world, the way that they're always angry, the lack of emotion. And because the world's cold to them, they reproduce that cold environment in terms of their frosty relationships with people in positions of power, authority, but also people that want to help them, you know, and give up their time. And he just didn't want it. He, he, he saw his vision, he saw where it was going, but he didn't see that it was going to end up being killed at the age of 17. And that's sad, you know, it's really sad, but that's a, a lack of critical thinking. And that's when we link it to education. Yeah. How do we get our young people to make decisions before they're 18 and we call them adults? Yeah. How are we facilitating that critique, you know, in terms of the decisions that they make? Mm. We've got to think about that as adults and we're not doing that well enough. No, we're not. And it's it's heartbreaking, you know, for every story you just shared, I could share some as well. And mm. it's, it's heartbreaking when you can see it coming. Yeah. You can see it as it's happening. Let's think solutions then. Yeah. Because I think both of us are in the solution business. And um, I think for some of the things you've already said, even your partnership with Goldman Sachs, for me suggests a, a slightly macro thinking in, in how you can influence systems which are impacting your mm. people. But, and we've had, you know, on this season, we've had Lord Hastings and, mm. and Lord William, we've had... Uh, doctors and teachers and mm. everyone's got their own perspective yeah. on, on what needs to happen. And it's funny because some of the things they've said yeah. will be in complete contradiction <laughs> to what you're saying. Of course. But I actually, one of the things I'm living with at the moment is how do you handle contradicting varying narratives, mm. which might seem foreign to one of us, mm. but actually could work. So here's the question. Yeah. What, what can we do in this very specific, we are seeing our young people in a London context, I'll be very clear, I do not think violence is a black or brown issue, oh. but I do think this particular type of violence which is impacting our young people is mm. disproportionately yes. impacting black and brown yep. children and families in a London context. Yes, yes. So in our very specific context, what type of things do you think needs to be done to try and reduce this? We need to bring back the community. There isn't a community. I don't feel that it's a community that cares for our young people. And until we actually routinely give our time to young people mm. that are not our own children, are not related to us, then that's going to go a long way in rebuilding that trust because they've been left alone to their own devices and yet we want to blame them for everything that is happening in society, but it's not their fault. Mm. These are systems of oppression, layered systems of oppression, which have got them to that point where black person black boy, white boy, they get to the same point in their life where they can be killed because of the decision that they make or don't make. And we really have to show love to these young people because there's no nurturing going on. You know, there's minimal nurturing in the wider context of society. Um, And like I said, they're segregated. So I think by giving time to other young people's, you know, other people's children, that time is love because they know you're not obligated to be there. So it's so important that we do that. And it's not about getting paid, you know, all the time. You know, we've got to survive. Yeah. But if I can go and talk to my friend's son, it's going to hold more weight than him saying to his own son because he's his dad. Yeah, totally. That voice is dead. He was yeah. boring. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So if I say something to my son and then my brother says it to him, 
yeah, yeah, you're, you're right, uncle. I'm like, I just said that. <laughs> like, I just said that. Yeah. So absolutely. what we've got to do is rebuild that intergenerational dialogue, recreating what we had in our African and Caribbean homes, where we had the, the elderly generation mentoring the parents, the parents mentoring the child, the elderly mentoring. It was all, you know. Yeah. So it's reverse mentoring that needs to happen. And that's why I'm so passionate about mentoring, because it's actually enlarging that experience of that person. Yeah. sharing that experience, finding a common ground to find that solution. Yeah. We're trying to make solutions and find solutions when young people are not in the room. Well, that's massive, isn't it? That's a, that is often, um, I sit in multiple meetings mm. where we talk about young people yeah. and there isn't a young person's voice in there. So yeah. that's a fair point. Yeah, and I think we've got to get them into those rooms at an earlier stage where they can influence change through their decisions that they make from their standpoint mm. and that's where the empowerment comes in and that's where the prevention you know principles of safeguarding you know just accountability yeah all those things but we want to hold young people to a, a higher level of accountability than we do other adults doesn't make any sense yeah that's a massive point actually because i do believe that we we do say you know the young person is young people but young people don't make the legislation. Yeah. Young people are not the ones who are controlling the exclusion systems. Right. Young people are not doing stop and search. It's 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 very true. But they should have a part to play in yeah. that decision. In a true democratic society, sure. they should be making those decisions because it's their future. Yeah. And that's how they become accountable, but that's also how they feel empowered. Mm. And then they shape the future because people that don't look like them are making decisions. Mm. And then they're in that room and then we're like, this is what we're going to do for these young people. Yeah. But they don't want this. Well, yeah, that is, I mean, it is true that we don't, and this is why we always talk about how do you do in community empowerment, mm. how are things co-produced? Yes, exactly that, in collaboration. In collaboration, right. because I think we never go in, we never go into schools with our TIP program and say, right, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, going to be, yeah, no, no, it's like, yeah. well, let's talk about what you actually want yes. and what you actually It's a consultation, need. isn't it? It is a consultation. And it makes you feel valued. Absolutely. And that's a lot of these young people don't feel valued because we live in a capitalist society. When we talk about social conditioning, we go about historically slavery, go Sunday best. Mm. It was a way of us peacocking and showing that we are human yeah. on one day of the week because mm. our mm. master, whatever you want to call him back then, allowed us to get dressed. This is what we see now in society because young people are seeing capitalism as a way out. Yeah. And that's a way out of their own self-esteem, you know, that that web of yes. deceit and lying to themselves about certain things. So they get to a point where they're like, I need to get a piece of that pie. But here's the thing, I mean, this is interesting because I think there is something about our communities mm -hmm. which are is, is gravitating to the glitz and the glamour. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, I'm, and I suppose I saw mo a lot of this over lockdown, mm -hmm. where on one hand, I love innovation. I love creativity. Yeah. And I love the idea of people working for themselves mm. and doing that. And I'm always pushing creatives. Yeah. But the truth is we can't all be creatives. Right? No. And and some of us are going to have to work for the man. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? <laughs> that's, that's the, that's, it's just. We've the, both done it. <laughs> yeah, we've both done it. And, and statistically, that's just how it's going to happen. But I do think sometimes we don't, I suppose the words I'm looking for, we don't push or promote or even look at that as a good thing. Mm. So some, so you know, some people will have to, because of whatever reason, work in Tesco's. Yeah. And for me, it's like, how do you still respect that, mm -hmm. empower people to yeah. be like, that is where you are for whatever reason. Yeah. That's just as valuable yeah. as 
getting that record label and yeah, yeah, 300 yeah, yeah. racks for, for whatever, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Or, or that record deal. Yeah. And I think there's just a, some, there's a bit of a, it's a disconnect when I, it's a bit like the Sunday best. Mm. People are looking at like a million dollars and I'm like, but I know if you looked at Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. that doesn't connect with what I'm yeah. looking at you like on the weekend at a dance. Mm-hmm. So I suppose the question, or well, not even the question, the observation I'm saying is that, yes, I do think we can look outwardly, but mm-hmm. I think there's some questions, mm-hmm. which some hard questions, yeah, yeah, yeah. which in the community, and when I say, I'm, I'm careful when I say black and brown communities because we're yeah. not a monolith. No, no, no. So no, no. Like, it's not like I'm like, well, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> this group of black people in yeah. Southeast London and yeah. that's the community. Yeah. No, it's multiple layers yeah, yeah. to that. But you know what I mean when I'm saying there's, a, there's a maybe a mm. community conversation which we don't have. And that's it. And it's a thing, everybody has a part to play in our liberation. Right. And the, the liberation can only happen through rehabilitation. Okay. We haven't rehabilitated. We're outwardly and inwardly hurting. This is yeah. why a young person can go and kill someone that looks just like them because it's that self-hatred and that indoctrination of the society and the race, racially oppressive systems, plus that black British experience, it's just, it further compounds it. And you get to a point where you actually hate yourself so much and your own existence, you don't see a future. Like my son is gonna be 16 in July. During lockdown, I was doing a lot of work. He was with me a lot, you know, he lives with his mom. So you know, we haven't been together for a while, but I've been there consistently. and to some degree, because of what I was doing with all the police work, I was neglecting him, you know? Mm. And I was trying to do this because I'm like, I got to provide for us. It was difficult, mentality, I didn't think I was gonna survive. So I was doing what I could to, to really promote what we were doing and get that money in. So I managed to take him to, to Kenya um, during the lockdown in October, 2020, um, well, November, 2020, and we went for two and a half weeks. And it was the best thing ever because you know when you think you know your own child, you don't. Wow. I didn't spend enough time with him. and. Then I took him to Barbados in December. We was there for two months. And we had a conversation on New Year's Eve. And he said, you know, I said, how do you see the world? How do you see your future? I don't see a future, Dad. Wow. I said, what? You've got me? You've got your mum? You've got people that love you? With COVID and the way the world's going, Dad, I don't see a future. And that really hurt me because I wanted my son to have some sort of hope and optimism. So if he felt like that with the support network that he has and what he's doing, he's doing well in school now, you know, He'd hated education for two years, but I've said to him, linking it to his passion, which is football, which we do at Mentivity, you need to drive this change through learning and be open and receptive to learning. So he now sees a future because it's linked to his passion, but also the way he sees the world and taking him to Kenya, which I was blessed to be able to do and making him feel proud about that foundation that linked to the motherland. That's what we're missing in that connection with our culture, I believe. And I think with you know, I'm a piano and Afro beats and music, we're starting to see that, you know, yeah. like being from Jamaica and Barbados like I was, we didn't say we were African. No, nah. We ran away from that, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, but now people are embracing that culture and our foundation. And I think that's a really important thing. So with my son now, I, I was able to give him some sort of hope yeah. and link into his passion. And so I think we really got to push with that, with young people. And everybody has a part to play in our liberation and, and also being in tune with your emotions and feelings and, and therapy. I mean, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to come on to that. Actually. That, <laughs> is, that is probably the last question I'm going to drop on you because I think, but just reflecting some of the things you just said there, I mean, that is such a powerful story and conversation. Mm. And I think we're not really going to understand the impacts of COVID for a long time without young people. Yeah. And if you can say, here's a young man who's got all the love in the world. Yeah. Um, nothing's perfect, but he's got the love and the yeah. around him. 
had the means to, mm. to get out of London. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go, yeah. Some, go somewhere. Made happen, man. He made it happen. Yeah. And even after all that, there's still kind of like this, this doubt and and mm. and concern of where. I think you you've nailed it. If mm. if if with that level of love, there's concern. Right. When somebody hasn't got that, why are we surprised that they they gravitate exactly to that. to to a madness? Yeah. And I think that's a really really important distinction. Mm. And this deficit model, which we often see, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't often think about. We we always see the headlines, don't we? Mm. This young person did X, Y, and Z, or mm. this was a victim or a perpetrator. Yeah. We don't go beyond the headlines, and I, and I think it's really important. The last question, which I want to put to you, which I always ask people in our field, is how do you look after yourself? And the reason <laughs> I say this is because I, I, I think it was during Black History Month. Um, I know it was Martin Luther King Day, mm. which we don't really celebrate in this country. So yeah. there's a lot of the stuff is American. But somebody had this, uh, this, this essay and they said that when uh, Martin Luther King, I think he was murdered, assassinated, yeah. uh, f 39. Mm. And, but when they did the autopsy, he had a heart of a 60-year-old. Yeah. And I remember reading that thinking, wow. I'm not putting myself in the context of Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. but the work we often yeah. do, which is justice-led, it's community-led, mm -hmm. it's taken on, it's heavy. Mm -hmm. And it was just a reminder that, um, for, so for example, Power Fight, everyone, whether you're my EA mm. to my youth practitioner mm. gets clinical supervision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's expensive, mm -hmm. but we talk about well-being and trauma informed. Mm -hmm. It's really important. So I always say to to, to particularly brothers who are in this field, mm. how do you take care of yourself? How do you look after yourself? Gosh, yeah. harsh lessons, man. Um, when Raheem was was shot and killed on the fifth of May, twenty eighteen, I was at a point, the lowest point I think in my life, where I I lied to myself that I was okay because this was a young man I'd known from the age of eight and he was 17 when he was killed. I loved that young man, you know? And um, it came about that I, I realized after working with him for about six years that me and his mum went to school together. Wow. She actually looked after me at Kingsdale. Wow. She came from Jamaica and I was just a tearaway. I was struggling in, in year seven, fighting everybody. And you know, when older girls at that age take an interest to you, you're thinking, oh yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but she was like, you know, you're you're good at football, you're smart, you know, you're a good, handsome young man, you should be focusing on this. And she really took me under her wing and that group of, of, of women in that context, a school context looked after me. And it wasn't until Raheem was 15 that we had a meeting at his school and I met his mom and I was like, I know you. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, Kingsdale. I'm like, oh my gosh. And when he was killed, I realized the flashbacks I had of her looking after me. And it just so happens that I was doing the same for her son, yeah. but I wasn't able to get there. And I was, I felt an immense sense of guilt and grief. You know, that combination is horrible. And I got to the point where I was just struggling. I was just struggling to survive. And um, I think I had a, a mental health episode, you know, a year later where I just, I just didn't want to do anything. Mm. I didn't want to be around, you know, and I was I embarked on therapy in 2019, and 2019 was a pretty heavy year. Some personal things that happened, and um, I just embarked on therapy, and I got a black female therapist, and it really really helped me. You know, I'm three years deep now Amazing. in terms of therapy, and that it's another level of accountability. You know, because when you go into that room, it's just you and that person. Yeah, it's almost you talking to yourself because you got all the solutions. Yeah, you got the answers. Yeah. 
but that level of accountability because when you go back into that room yeah did you do this did you do that yeah uh no i didn't and you don't want to feel that level of shame so it's almost egotistical isn't it it's yeah. your ego so i've just really embraced that but also you know at the moment do, do something every day is my hashtag yeah no i mean i've been clocking that. it's been it's put me to shame and it's inspired <laughs> nah, at the same nah, time. Nah, so listen, it's good it doesn't really have to good. be fitness but something around mental health and well-being and yeah I've undertake i've been doing yoga since 2018 i love yoga mm. you know and people like yoga i'm still playing football at 39 mm. vets but also i played for the wall which is the team i manage on sunday league in the same league as se dons i played two games yeah. in two two days 180 minutes so I'm trying to push my own boundaries, but I'm also taking time to rest as hard as I work. Yeah. I mean, you said a few things which are triggering me right there. <laughs> I'm still playing the 39. <laughs> I retired at like probably that age, you know what I mean? Um, but no, on a serious note, I think it's so important what you just said there. I yeah. Think you, you know, you're talking about mind, body and soul. Mm. Um, and I know you're a deeply spiritual person as well, mm -hmm. just from some of the stuff I've clocked on social media. So it's encouraging to hear mm. and I wouldn't have respected anything less, but I wanted to say thank you mm. for your time because I, I know um, you are a in-demand busy <laughs> man. I want to get you on here again because we need to talk music. Cause yeah, I, yeah. I remember watching one of your things. I was like, but wait, this brother knows about anti-hall mob. That's my dad's a music teacher. Okay. He's a musician, had his own band and stuff. Okay. So that's where it comes. And my mum's a singer and I just love music. So yeah. And it's I, a South London thing. Well. Of course. Of course. Just, no other We're part, the best. We're the best. <laughs> Nobody wants to... Uh, there's a couple of West... There's a West London man in here. So <laughs> I've got to be careful. But, you know, I think... We know where it all comes from. But um the layers of the culture, man. Yeah, absolutely. But no, bro, thank you so much for your time. No, man. Um, thank you. Appreciate what you're doing. Keep going. Um, as someone who's a little bit older, I'm here in, yeah, yeah. in any which way. Likewise. And um, but yeah, you know, blessings and keep going, bro. Just to start, man, collaboration between us in the community. We've got to showcase that. Hundred percent. I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come down. I wanna come down to Min TV. I wanna come to the to Hub. Yeah, and, and chill and Let's hang. Make it happen. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you.